The Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, comprises 29 films that together have pulled in, get this, $27.43 billion in total revenue. It's hard to find anyone who hasn't seen at least one of these 29 films, and even people who haven't probably would recognize the names of some of their main characters. Thor, Black Widow, Captain America, Captain Marvel, The Incredible Hulk, and of course, Iron Man. But here on the Indigo Podcast, we're wondering, what, if anything, might we learn from these characters? Our two guests today are the industrial and organizational psychologists, Gordon Schmidt and Sai Islam, and they argue that there's plenty that we might learn from these films. In fact, they go deep into this topic in their book, Leaders Assemble, Leadership in the MCU. Gordon is a professor of management and the director of the David and Sharon Turrentine School of Management at the University of Louisiana, Monroe. Sai is a co-founder and vice president of consulting with Talent Metrics and an associate professor of industrial organizational psychology at Farmingdale State College. Stay tuned for this great conversation about how we might learn about leadership from popular culture and more specifically, from superheroes. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Gordon and Sai, welcome to the Indigo Podcast. Hi, Ben. Hi, Chris. Happy to be here. Great to be here. Yeah! Awesome! (laughs) I'm happy you're here! I'm happy that you're happy to be here! Today's show's gonna be awesome! This is... Oh, this book is amazing. Ben, what are we talking about today? Yeah, so we're gonna talk to them about a variety of things, but we're gonna focus a little bit on a book that they recently published called Leaders Assemble, Leadership in the Marvel Comic Universe. And it's an interesting book because it takes some of what we know from science, from organizational psychology in particular, about this phenomenon of leadership, and uses the Marvel comic universe to explain some of those those different principles and things that we know from the research, which is a really cool way to um, explain and reach audiences, perhaps, that uh, our academic discipline has failed to do so in the past. So um, maybe where we, you know, I guess we're going to talk about a couple things. I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, Gordon and Sai from you, how you kind of ended up doing what you do now uh, and kind of your origin stories, because we're talking about uh, superheroes and villains and so forth. And then we'll talk about kind of this bigger challenge of taking scientific insights and making them uh palatable and applicable to making them awesome to every person out there they're making them awesome making them awesome (laughs) and uh how how we can all use the the marvel comic universe perhaps to to help everyone and and ourselves lead better so why don't we start with that first piece which is the origin stories of our two guests uh, your journeys into doing what you do and um perhaps we can uh start with uh gordon uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you ended up doing what you're doing. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, just growing up as a, I was going to say as a young lad, that sounds like a weird way to describe myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, but, but in high school, in high school, I got into psychology as something I thought was really interesting to me. And so I ended up doing this science research project in in high school. 
we actually had a class in my, my suburban high school in upstate New York uh, that was sort of do your own research. Uh, and so all the kids there, all their parents were like biologists and chemists and hard science. And so there was like, I'm doing a study of 400 hours in a lab with beakers. And I was like, I want to do psychology because it's cool. And so everyone was like, who's that weird kid? What is he doing? <laughs> um, but so I did research on the trust of societal groups and how someone's attachment style affected that. Um, and then I ended up being a finalist in the Intel Science Talent Search for that at the time. So it was pretty successful work. And so it led me kind of on this idea of I wanted to do more. Uh, and so I ended up going to undergraduate work for industrial uh, in, industrial and organ Industrial labor relations, industrial labor relations, cut that, industrial labor relations, um, and just kind of thinking about the workplace and, you know, how does the psychology aspects of it led to me and my research mentor during that, uh, Brad Bell, came from the Industrial Organizational Psychology Program, Michigan State. That's where he got his degree. And that was like, okay, this is the thing. I didn't have a name for this. I didn't know what it was but this is what I want to do. And so that got me kind of in this chain to ultimately get a PhD and become a professor uh, of management now and sort of teaching about all this stuff. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's great. And we'll come back to you to kind of fill in some more and tell us about how you kind of got into um, this this whole world of of using comics, for example, and and other types of uh, social um, pop culture, so to speak, to explain mm -hmm. things like leadership. Um, but why don't we hit a, go over to, to Cy and, and maybe give us a little bit of your background and how you ended up where you are. Yeah, so I was bitten by a radioactive professor, and then <laughs> yes. you just kind of have to become a professor <laughs> after that. Uh, no, actually, so I, <laughs> I actually really loved Gordon's story because it's like, yeah, I succeeded, and then I succeeded some more, and then I succeeded again, because this is not how I ended up in, in IO psychology in particular. Um, so when I was uh, growing up, my, my older brother, he's much older than me, he's like 12 years older than I am. He's a medical doctor, uh, you know, very, very smart. And I thought when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to be like my brother. I'm going to, you know, become a medical doctor. And uh, the book is actually dedicated in part to him because he's the one who gave me comic books when I was a kid and got me interested in comics. So uh, I wanted to be like him in many, many ways. And so in college, I was a bio major. I was like, oh, I'm going to become medical doctor. Like, I'm going to become this South Asian stereotype. Totally great. Um, and I, I did an internship uh, in a hospital, and it was awful. It was not anything like ER. I didn't like it. It was terrible. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is not where I want to be. Um, let me let me switch gears. And so I I dropped bio as my major because the only reason I was studying biology was to go to medical school. I was like, I don't really like bio that much. Let me study something else. I switched over to economics, graduated with a degree in economics, uh, really had no clue what I wanted to do. Uh, I ended up uh, becoming a uh, part-time instructor for Kaplan as like for the SATs. I did that for about a year and then eventually became a manager uh, for one of their offices, which more or less amounted to kind of running HR, which was, you know, recruitment, training, uh, you know, selection, all the I side level IO stuff. That's what I was doing. And then after a couple of years, I was like, well, you know, uh, my, my dad and I had like 
what amounts to a South Asian dad heart to heart, uh, which was like, which was mostly like, hey, you should you should really think about doing something with your life. Uh, and I was like, all right, what, you know, what do you think? He was like, well, maybe you should go for an MBA uh, because if you're not going to go to medical school, at least you should have like some sort of higher degree because that that's all my my family really knew. Uh, going back to my my uh, paternal grandfather because he was like one of the first people in Bangladesh to get like a uh, in, from his village, not in Bangladesh, but uh, in his village to get like higher education. So obviously, my dad's advice was get more degrees. That seems like it makes sense. So I I went to an MBA program at Fairleigh Dickinson University. The first class I took was organizational behavior, taught by an IO psychologist, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And so the IO psychologist that, that taught this class, Dr. Dean Robb, he looked at me, he was like, you know, you should do our dual degree program, an MBA in HR and a master's in IO. And I didn't know any better to say, no, I should only do one master's degree. I was like, two master's degrees sounds even better. So I did that. And then like in when I was doing my master's courses, I really loved IO psychology. I was like, wow, I should do I should do a PhD in this. And uh, ended up applying to PhD programs and then ended up at Hofstra University um, where I, I did my PhD. So totally, it, and this story is something I tell a lot to students because um, it's exactly what students shouldn't do with their lives, that you shouldn't find out about your future career in the other master's program that you were in. <laughs> it's not good career planning. So, um, I mean, I, I don't think any of the years of my life were wasted in the jobs that I've had, but... Uh, I could have been more efficient in how I approach things, but uh, yeah, that's that's basically how it how it happened. Outstanding. So your brother, so your brother got you into comics, he right? Did. What what mm-hmm. what were you reading back then? So he had a huge box of comics. It was primarily a mixture of. I remember the first comic I read was Mighty Thor number one thirty eight with the gray gargoyle on the cover, and um, I thought that was okay. And then I started reading some Fantastic Four, some Captain America and the Falcon. That was all stuff that he uh, that he'd gotten uh, and he'd collected over over a number of years. And then my parents realized that I liked comics. And so my dad was like, well, if you do well in school, I'll buy you comics, which he he quickly came to regret that decision um, and still <laughs> still kind yeah. of regrets that decision to this day because there's still comics in my parents' house, like in the basement somewhere. Uh, so he, he was like, oh, you keep getting A's. OK, let's go to the store. We'll get you another comic book. So <laughs> that was like a very longstanding uh, way of motivating me. <laughs> Now, Gordon, what what about you? How how did you get into comics and stuff? Yeah, so I started based on the cartoon shows that I liked collecting comics. So I was G.I. Joe comics, Transformer comics, uh, He-Man, Mask, all, all these different stuff, ALF. Um, and so sort of like more kids comic type stuff. Uh, and then my dad, you know, he loved going to garage sales and flea markets and buying stuff and then selling it for a profit. And so he went to this flea market near near our house we were living, the Fireman's Flea Market, and there was a big box of comic books. And so my dad looks at that and says, I can make money on that box of comic books at my garage sale. So he buys this big box of comics, which is a bunch of 70s, early 80s, mostly superhero books, which I hadn't really read much. And so from that book, I read Spider-Man for the first time. Uh, I read I read the Avengers and I was just like, this stuff is really good. Like, yeah, G.I. Joe is great. But these superhero comics, they're really something. And so I kept the Amazing Spider-Man comics out. 
the Avengers. I read them and then they went to the garage sale. And then halfway through, I was like, no, I need them. And somebody had bought one and I was really <laughs> angry about it. Uh, and so through that, like I found out about, you know, I'd heard of some of these characters. Like I probably had heard of Spider-Man, you know, and the X-Men before. But this box of comics was was really like how I became a superhero comic book fan. Um, and all because I don't, my dad wanted to make some money off of something he saw at the flea market, I guess. And he was like, and Gordon will read some of them probably because he like reads stuff. Um, and so that's how I got in, <laughs> got into comics really was through just this sort of, I don't know, I guess this is capitalism, right? Through <laughs> my dad trying to make money off of some comics, which he did. He made a profit. We sold a bunch of comics over the years at garage sales, but this was the first one and was pretty seminal for me. So tell us a little bit about where you are right now and how you found each other. Uh, how did the idea for this book come about? Uh, why focus on the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I think I referred to it as the Marvel Comic Universe before. and People are probably like, you are an idiot. Um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ben, how many comics did you read growing up, Ben? Zero. Zero. There you go. Right. So maybe that's my that's my excuse, right? So uh, one of these is not like the others. <laughs> no Alf, at least you should have read some Alf. No, we, we didn't even have a television until I was in high school. We uh, we were strictly reading other stuff, but um, all, all good. So uh, tell us tell us a little bit about where you are now. How'd you find each other, and how did you uh, end up getting this idea about a, a leadership book based on the MCU? So I think uh, Gordon and I met uh, because I had. Uh, applied for a job at Purdue Fort Wayne, and and that was where he was at at the time. And we just ended up uh, staying in touch afterwards. Especially, um, you know, many, many of your followers or listeners may not know this, but Gordon and I waste a lot of time on social media. Sorry, yes. sorry, strategically network through strategically social waste media. time. <laughs> yeah, strategically waste time through social media. And so we found out that we had a lot of common interests. Uh, you know, which was cool. So we talk about comics. Uh, you know, just independent of any like other things. We just talk about stuff that we're reading. So it's a lot of fun. And uh, we ended up hearing about a call for book proposals, um, you know, for this series called Exploring uh, Effective Leadership Practices Through Popular Culture from Emerald Publishing. And so we immediately thought about the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, mostly because Gordon and I spend a lot of time, you know, we're both instructors. So I'm an associate professor at Farmingdale State College. Um, I teach a lot of undergraduates. And for some reason, undergraduates don't seem to know, you know, who Winston Churchill is or who other people happen to be that I often reference, you know. Um, my Jackie Gleason jokes just don't go over that well. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> the know, honeymooners. Honeymooners. Nobody, you know, Ooh. Charlie Chaplin. No, like, come on. Uh, you know, but, you know, they kind of understand. They have a vague sense of Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so we use that a lot in our in our classes and in our teaching. And then in my executive coaching work, I will occasionally assign a movie or a TV show just because that's a little bit easier for people to digest than, you know, full on book uh, or, or something else along those lines. Yeah, those guys don't read. I stopped asking about the books on the executive shelves in their office because they say, oh, I haven't read this one yet. What you think? To be honest, I haven't read any of those, right? <laughs> <laughs> just painted on. <laughs> yeah, it was just painted on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you found each other on social media and had some conversations. Noticed you're both into um, similar types of things. 
And then this book proposal um, uh, opportunity came out, uh, put that together. And this kind of led you down the path, it seems, to creating this um, interesting way of uh, addressing the issue, the, the challenge of taking scientific insights and applying them in practice um, through a, a kind of a novel way. So um, tell us a little bit more about kind of how you navigated that. How do you, what did you learn? How, why, how did you start uh, approaching this topic at all? So I, that's kind of an interesting thing to me too, because Cy and I have written about this idea of IO psychology needs to do more outreach. Our ideas aren't out there. You know, publishing in a top journal is great, but most people in practice, well, let's just go for it. No one in practice will ever read that thing. No, They don't know what you're talking about. If it's not Harvard Business Review, they have no idea. Uh, and so we've been concerned about that. We've written about it. And some of our wasting time on social media is this idea of we want to get information out there to people. Uh, and so that's something I think with the book that really was a great fit for us is we were like, this is an interesting topic. We want to get these ideas out there. Something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and superheroes is a great way to get people interested in these topics and to present stuff in an engaging way. Uh, to me, at least, it feels like some journal publications try their best to be uh, not understandable by any human, <laughs> regardless of how many PhDs you have. Um, I remember one paper we read in graduate school where I think the professor literally was like, this is one of the most brilliant papers of all time. Nobody understands exactly what they mean, <laughs> but it's such a good solution. I think it was resolving the situation versus individual debate on personality. The paper resolved it. I can't tell you how or exactly how you'd apply it, but apparently this paper resolved that issue just in a way no human could fully understand or comprehend. <laughs> uh, and to me, that's just the opposite of what we should be doing because who cares? Um, there's a lot of great published articles. There's a lot of great work, but if no one in business ever does it, I don't think it really matters functionally in a lot of ways. And so that's kind of where Sinai's perspective has been. Um, and so the book to me was a great way to take these constructs, what's shared leadership, what's servant leadership, what, how does conflict work and say, hey, we got a lot of big fancy terms. What if we throw out a lot of those terms or we explain them very easily while various superheroes are punching each other uh, and fighting about, frankly, you know, their feelings, Cap and Iron Man, they're fighting about their feelings, their relationship. And to me, that's just the coolest possible area because I'm interested in psychology. I love how people interact, how we're different from each other and work together and fight. And I like superheroes fighting each other, too. And so you throw those things in one place and we're sign our big nerds. We love talking about the research. So to me, it's sort of the perfect marriage of everything all together in one big lump. It's, it feels very <laughs> multidisciplinary beyond what anyone would consider. You're like, oh, psychology is important, so we should include management. But let's include superheroes while we're at it. To me, that is the most beautiful thing in the world. So <laughs> that's, that's my feeling on it. Well, you know, and and I, will, I actually think it is beautiful in a way. And I'm going to go back to something you mentioned earlier, Gordon, where you, you were talking a little bit about how and you kind of 
um, mentioned it in passing, almost saying, you know, and our, our journal articles aren't read by practitioners and they're not very accessible and so forth. And, that, and that's absolutely true. And I just want to kind of put an anchor down on that point just for a second, because what we do for our listeners, many of whom are not academics, what we do in academia oftentimes is we are heavily incentivized to focus on research, which is great. Like we do need research. Research is awesome. We have to advance the, our knowledge. Um, but we we uh, conduct research and then we publish that research and we do it in a way that is um, where we're, we're writing for other professors, for other researchers, so that they can read what we did and then they can ideally take that and integrate it into the broader body of knowledge and create other studies that follow on from it and so forth. That's all great, but it kind of um, develops knowledge in a a bit of a silo, so to speak, or on a, a, a lane of the highway that, that just isn't um, ever ac- accessed or approached by people who actually use that knowledge. And so I, I like what you're doing here and, uh, and, and think it's really great. Yeah. You guys are the torchbearers of getting, what do we say in the South? Getting the hay down to where the goats can get it. <laughs> I, I remember being a practitioner, right? I hear that every day. I, yeah. yeah. Right. It's all anybody says. You know, I remember being a practitioner and seeing other consultants in the landscape. And I'm like, where is this stuff coming from? Surely somebody... And sure enough, it's all, all the all the answers are like behind a paywall and it, you have to have an academic library privileges to be able to mm-hmm. get to the good stuff. And then you guys didn't sit on your laurels. You said, all right, let's let's get it out here. And, and this book is incredible. Um, let me ask you this pop culture, right? Like, I don't know. There, the snooty elites might look down on pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. How, 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 what's the feedback been from some of your peers? And then how, what is some of the feedback you've gotten on, on the book from people that are actually purchasing it? So I think from peers, uh, at least for me, it's been a, a lot of people have been very positive about uh, the idea behind the book and they're very excited. It might be, you know, it might be a little bit of a, you know, a similar to me effect where I've surrounded myself with nerds in my life. I was going to say echo chamber. Echo chamber, <laughs> yes. I've got, I've developed my own silo. Echo chamber's working. <laughs> yes, all of you, tell me how great this idea is, right? And <laughs> and you know, the the feedback that we've gotten, uh, you know, for the most part, has been really positive. I think, uh, especially in like modern culture, is pretty fractured. Right. Like I'll I'll talk to my students about things that they're watching or listening to. And it's always some random YouTube channel. You know, they're like, hey, do you do you watch the YouTube channel with the clucking chickens? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's always something like totally random that I have no clue about. Or like, are you on TikTok? Like, no, sorry. Uh, but Marvel stuff, people seem to know for the for the most part. And they're excited to talk about it. Um, so that, that's been the feedback that we've gotten. We've gotten some very nice reviews on, on Amazon and gotten some really nice feedback, uh, from people that have, that have read the book. Uh, so that's been really nice to hear. Uh, and it's also kind of funny because the reaction from other IO people has been that they're really happy that they have a way to talk about some of our ideas in a more, you know, easily digestible way that doesn't come with like a method section, a limitation section. It's just like, here's here's a way to think about this that you could potentially relate to your own life. Now, did was Marvel involved with this at all? Or did, like, did you guys get permissions or like any rub that way? 
Now, it's all, you know, unauthorized, unaffiliated. So that's why we don't say Marvel directly in the title uh, and that type of thing as well. So it's and we don't cite, you know, we don't quote directly or that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there, that's sort of how how it kind of goes without being a licensed product mm. in that type of way. Gotcha. So, so we, yeah. we will gladly write a licensed uh, Disney Marvel product. Please call us. <laughs> yeah, we've got a pitch for, I guess it turned out the Exiles. So Marvel, if you're listening to their podcast, uh, let us know. If the New York Mets are listening, please hire us. Yes, that's all. You also... often need help. Things are going well, pretty well. Uh, but let us know if you need help. <laughs> Just going to throw that out. <laughs> so this is a book about leadership, and there are many different topics within that that big topic in our field of organizational psychology. So how did you kind of pick what you were going to talk about and then match it up with uh, examples? Or did you look at the examples that you liked from from the movies and then kind of go say, oh, well, there's an example of that. Let's talk about that. How did you organize that? What was your thought process there? So uh, there's to me, there's a few parts of that. One, I think there's the macro, uh, which is kind of, we got the macro perspective on leadership as a process of influence that we all engage in. Um, and so at least to, to, to my mind, and Sai agrees, or at least he tells me he agrees, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, there's a lot of focus on there's big CEOs, they're perfect, we love them, and we just listen to them and they do all the work. And I think anyone who's actually worked anywhere and thinks about it knows there's a lot of bosses that sound cool to the outside. Everybody hates them. Nobody listens. Uh, and so we really wanted to focus on this idea that we're all leaders. We all can engage in leadership and that the book should reflect that type of ideal. Um, and so we don't act like Captain America is perfect. We critique some of the things he does. We don't act like, uh, you know, there's perfect leaders. They do different things and different leaders are better for different situations. So I think across the chapters, we wanted to make sure we got across um, uh, to th- those types of ideas um, and to really think about what is what is up to date research on these areas? What are things that are not just our opinion? So I, the book's not very focused on 1955's hottest hits of leadership which I think is something you get with pop with with sometimes more popular books on leadership is they're like, here's this great theory. It's called Freud and the, you know, the unconsciousness of Jung. Oh like, you know, again, it's some of that's that's just interesting, but it's not we want to be as up to date as we can on things and have it be empirically supported. Uh, because I think you can get a lot you can get stuff 30 years old all over the place uh, in various books. We, we really want it to be something where here is here's up to date research. And so there's stuff in the book to me that we're a lot more up to date than a lot of things that I see out there, even though ours is just, you know, a fun book about leadership to try to teach you through Marvel movies. Like we're very rigorous in our approach, way more rigorous than you need for a book that uses Marvel movies to teach leadership, because our goal is outreach in giving you actually good evidence-based practice, which makes us a bit of oddballs in people that write leadership books about fun topics. But to us, that's that's the main goal of the book. We want it to be fun. We want you to understand it. We want you to learn the real stuff. 
Um, and so that's kind of the big picture for us, at least. What's interesting to me here, right, is because there's this body of knowledge. First of all, most of the top selling business books are trash. Our listeners know that. I mean, you're not going to like blink in 10,000 hours and then magic fortune 500, right? You know, or whatever that, sorry, Malcolm Gladwell, but um, it didn't work for me. I tried. So, <laughs> but here, these movies are written for entertainment, right? They're like, Hey, we're going to do stuff. We're going to have relationships. We're going to create drama. And then on top of that, you guys come from this body of evidence-based leadership that, you know, I, at least the way I approached it was, okay, you got to learn this, learn this. And you're like, oh my gosh, the whole landscape of pop literature is like wrong. Well, how did you guys bridge that idea of the big themes in IO psychology, where they are now? And then a story that was many stories that were written primarily for entertainment. So I think that a lot of that comes from our experience as professors. Um, you know, when you're a professor, you are struggling to get people to pay attention to really dig deep and listen to the lessons you're trying to give. And so we're using pop culture because some of those examples are really illustrative of things that people are going through. Part of that is, you know, it's actually twofold. One is if you're teaching undergraduate students, you have a chance where some of your students have never worked, depending on the type of institution that you're at, um, or have never had a lot of leadership experience based on wherever they're coming from. And then, you know, number two is is there's a big difference between teaching graduate school and undergraduate. Graduate school usually have adults that have better sense of like history and, and maybe politics and things like that, or places where we might get leadership examples. And so um, for us, I think we were thinking about, well, you know, in class, I show this argument between the Avengers from the first Avengers movie. And then we talk about where that conflict came from. And then we break down what you could do to manage that kind of conflict. And so that leads us into kind of writing that process out in, in the form of the book where, you know, people are learning things from media or movies, you know, all the time. People are making, you know, drawing conclusions and making assumptions based on things that they've seen in media all the time. And we're just trying to take that and turn it a little bit so that you're getting better lessons than if you were just kind of using your own heuristics to make, you know, uh, and draw conclusions about, you know, different movies and, and, and TV shows. I think the other interesting thing about Marvel especially is it's, you know, it's an ongoing story. So there's a lot of long-term uh, relationships and, and conflicts and meetings and things like that. And you don't always get that in movies and TV shows. Um, so that it makes it really ripe for this conversation. Well, in this first movie, this is what happens. Let's watch how this person changes. Uh, I remember Gordon wrote about, um, you know, Tony Stark and his, his authenticity. And you really get to track that over a series of films in a way that you wouldn't be able to do unless you had like an entire TV show. The other cool thing about the, the, you know, the movies and the TV shows is that you can clip them and you can show the little parts that you really want them to see. And you can replay them and have people engage in them in, in a variety of different ways. So sometimes, uh, you know, in class, I'll make students watch a clip. I'll talk about a particular theory or a method, and then I'll have them watch the clip again and see if they're, they're getting something out of that the second time through that they didn't get the first time. So there's a lot of kind of replayability there. So I think there, there's a lot of value in that. And frankly, people learn from stories all the time. You know, my, my son is learning from watching, you know, some Disney Junior shows. 
and we we know that works. We know that people learn things, um, you know, through media, and it can be a really valuable tool for us. And I'm, hopefully, we've been able to, you know, kind of leverage that so that we can spread some good science about how to be a better leader. Yeah. To to me, another thing that is really important too is that a lot of leadership related books are here is a wildly successful person. This is what they did. You should do the same. And if you question it, you're not Steve Jobs. You haven't accomplished it. So you're probably wrong. Right. And so the superheroes to me set up a world where you can criticize Captain America. You can you can talk about Iron Man or Hulk and it's okay. Well, I think sometimes we get into with leadership this weird idea. We've got perfect CEO leaders. Uh, We know they were successful, so therefore their methods must work. But with the superheroes, we can disagree with what they did very easily. We can say Cap screwed up. And the the book itself, as I said, doesn't try to lead that these are perfect leaders. They made mistakes. You might do something different in your own environment. And so to me, it makes it easier to do that. Because if you're an undergrad and you want to say, I know more than Elon Musk, that can be a lot harder than to say, I think, you know, Iron Man was an idiot here. Uh, it just, you know, because it's it's not it's a lot easier to do so. It's a lot more you can analyze it, and it's fun to do it where it's not. Uh, you're trying to say, oh well, somebody was successful, so I can't yeah. criticize somebody for it. You know, no CEOs were harmed in the making of this book. <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet, not yet. <laughs> in some podcasts, just some CEOs' feelings, yeah. but not not the CEOs themselves. But you bring up an interesting point that. Using these types of fictional examples allow the the learner to be somewhat detached as an observer, right? And be able to analyze it a little bit differently than we do with real life things. You know, it reminds me that, um, you know, in the military, uh, so our listeners know, and I believe both of you know as well, I'm also in the military and so uh, Mm -hmm. so is Chris. Um, You know, one thing that we do in our professional military education is we, we do study some prior conflicts to try to learn some things from them. And very intentionally, we sometimes will study things that did not involve the United States. So for example, uh, you know, coming from a Navy background, studying the the Russo-Japanese War is really interesting for us. Um, And we don't have to, we don't get wrapped up in, you know, kind of uh, a an American perspective on it because you know it was it was this war that happened a long time ago between two countries that one of which was not the United States right or neither of them were so uh, I think that there is some value there um, what I'd love to do now is let let's talk about some examples uh, you know talk about some examples of good and bad leadership from the from from the MCU uh, some some of your favorites perhaps that were really fun to write about in the book. Uh, some ones that maybe you use in your courses. All right, so I, I think I can I can start off on this one. Uh, I I really love the movie Black Panther. Uh, you know, and I I grew up reading that comic, so the, the you know the movie meant a lot to me, and I I really enjoyed their depiction of leadership uh, for a couple reasons. So usually I, I've seen a lot of uh, sci-fi action superhero movies, and the really interesting thing about Black Panther is that. Um, T'Challa, the the Black Panther, he is able to kind of reach across the aisle in in many ways. He builds a coalition of people to, you know, that are willing to follow him. Uh, You know, the movie opens with him in conflict with uh, a leader of of another tribe, a guy named M'Baku, who ends up being his ally at the end because he chooses not to kill 
uh, him in the beginning. And this is something that, like, in most superhero movies, you know, your goal is to just kill the villain, and then congratulations, you get the girl, you win. And in, you know, Black Panther, he is able to bring this person who ostensibly, for the majority of the movie, has been an enemy, and isn't particularly nice to him, uh, even when he when he comes to him for aid, says like, hey, you know, I, I need your help. And M'Baku tells him, like, sure you do, I know you need my help, but you're not getting it. But eventually he realizes that, no, this is better for both of us. Uh, even the big villain of the movie, um, a character named Killmonger, um, when he's when he's, you know, injured, severely injured, uh, T'Challa, the Black Panther, has the option of letting him die or offering him help. And he reaches out to him again and he says, look, I can save your life. Uh, we can, you know, but why don't you come back? Why don't you come back and be a part of things? And I think there's a really powerful lesson there because a lot of times when we, you know, when I talk to leaders, when I when I speak with leaders in a coaching capacity um, or business leaders in, in, you know, consultations, there's always this idea of things being a zero-sum game. And really, more most things are not zero-sum. They're, they're on a continuum. So, you know, there, there are different levels of, of success or not success. And there's a lot of ideas where, where people say like, oh, if you're planning on being a leader, we need to go full Game of Thrones and we need to make sure that all of your enemies are vanquished and that you're the only one that has any power. And that that's not really how modern organizations are going to work. That's not how uh, companies or organizations are going to thrive in, in the modern era. And I think the movie really illustrates that in, in a subtle but very nice way where, you know, kids will hopefully leave and say, well, I had conflict with this kid at school and... I don't need to have that conflict. I can reach across the aisle and we can, we can build something rather than, um, you know, rather than, than destroy. And I think that's a powerful message that really comes across. And we talk about it a couple of times in the book. Um, one chapter talks about, you know, leadership transitions, kind of focusing on how do you change one leader to another? What's the, what's the process like? It's not always going to be a duel on a waterfall, uh, you know, it's not never going to, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. Hopefully there are better processes in place, but also what does it mean to kind of get people to, to work together? Outstanding. Yeah. And I think on, on the negative side, um, we do a chapter on Captain America civil war, which I think does a good job of talking about this idea of mistakes made and trying to consider what you could do and how you should work together. Uh, and so kind of the whole story of Captain America's Civil War is this conflict between Iron Man and Captain America about what should the Avengers, who should control them in the future. Uh, and so Iron Man is like, you know, basically this part of the UN or something like the UN should be in charge and make all the decisions. Uh, and Captain America saying, well, I've got these closely held personal values. We should make the decisions sort of as they've already been doing. And so you've got these two people with opinions that not, not, neither of those is a bad take per se. Neither is this is right or wrong. There's different ways the Avengers could be run. And you've got this team that's been successful. Um, but instead of these two talking to each other, trying to collaborate on it, coming up with a solution that might work, they both are kind of my way or the highway. They don't try to get other people involved in the discussion or try to come up with solutions. They just try to get people on their side. Uh, and it's, it, it's, to me, it's maybe the biggest tragedy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe be because they can't come together and sort of figure out a better solution 
the Avengers essentially break up and we don't have this group when big threats like Thanos come about. We've got people, you know, some of the Avengers are in jail um, because of uh, picking Captain America's side when there might have been a solution that would work um, because we didn't really get a clear idea of what each side wants. Does Iron Man just want some accountability for the team? Does he want more general decisions where we're getting people outside the group? Uh, and for Captain America, if we had said, well, you can always make your own decision on what missions you go on, or you can always raise your concerns about it to the group if something, you know, a government brings up something we don't want. Um, to my mind, there was a solution there, but nobody tried to figure out a way to do that. They didn't try to collaborate. And so you got a much worse solution than either. If we had went with Cap or went with Iron Man, my, I would say that it would have been better than what happened of this conflict. That So we talk about conflict management strategies. We talk about why this was an issue and they both screwed up. And the other Avengers maybe should have spoke up as well because it, it was unnecessary problem. Um, there might've been tough discussions and maybe some people would have left, but it didn't have to be, you know, a big, exciting cinematic fight uh and this conflict um there there was a way forward so that's kind of the the good and bad of this i think is important to talk about we all can make mistakes as leaders we should be learning from it we want students to learn from that that my where the highway the vanquish your opponents um can become the people on your team when you have that mentality so if you were going to be led by any character in the MCU, who would you choose and why? Sai, go. Uh, I think I already I said T'Challa earlier, so I, I don't want to reuse the same answer, but I will say that I, I would, if I'm going to be following somebody, I really think Captain America. Uh, I, I always, you know, I've always loved the character, even when I was a, when I was a kid, but there's something about um, him and his, you know, we talk about him as being a servant leader. And uh, he's very much the person that, you know, if you're working with him, if you're on his team, he's going to do what he needs to do to kind of give you the space to get your work done. Whether that's jumping on a grenade or whether that's throwing his shield, whatever it is, you know that he's he's got your back. And I think that that has a lot of value in um, in a lot of teams and in a lot of workplaces. What about you, Gordon? Um, I'll go with uh, probably a little bit out of left field, but you'll hear the argument we talk about in the book <laughs> a little bit. Um, but, but to me, the Black Widow is a great leader. And unfortunately, we don't see it a lot in the film itself. It's part of the sub, subtext. So what we have in, what we have is half the population of the world disappears, right? Uh, it, it between, in the movies, it's this huge catastrophic event. Uh, and basically a lot of the traditional leaders, the Avengers say, I'm out. I'm going to do my own thing. Tony kind of retires. The Hulk decides to focus on himself. Um, Captain America focuses kind of on dealing with helping people deal with their trauma, but not really leading. Um, Thor, you know, decides to focus on video games and eating lots of good food and drinking lots of beer, which I completely understand. That sounds like a good focus to have, frankly. <laughs> um, but we're kind of left with everybody's left and Black Widow has to deal with the fact that the world has been changed irrecoverably in the greatest tragedy of all time. So you've got a five-year gap period they don't cover very well. But what you see when we go to the world five years later is, yeah, people are sad. Yes, uh, people would prefer things the way they were. But the world is running pretty well. And we see Black Widow interacting with the people in uh, Wakanda. 
we see uh, looking at Captain Marvel, they're talking about, you know, galactic relations. Uh, War Machine talks about things going on in the world. And you've got basically this very collaborative group that has come together. Um, we've got more female leaders than we've had before. We've got people from diverse groups. We've got to focus on not just the Earth, but galactic. And they have made it work in a significant way, even though a lot of those leaders that we would think are the most important are essential. You say Cap and Iron Man are gone. Well, we're screwed. Well, they weren't screwed. They did pretty well. Uh, and so to me, Black Widow did a great job with that. And it's to some degree, it's pretty sad that once a solution was found to the problem, Black Widow gets pushed back to, you know, not being in a leadership role because I think she did a great job. And I'd love to see a movie or maybe a comic tie in that really shows some of the big struggles you would have had with with that event. That event happened for five years in the movie. We just don't get coverage of it. Hmm. Um, so I, I've been advocating for that. Marvel, let me know. Yeah, they they completely it's oh, yeah, that thing happened where half of everybody just turned to dust. OK, so now this movie's happening. <laughs> they never really. Right. There's yeah. a lot to mow there emotionally yeah. and relationally mm -hmm. in that period of time. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on there. And and one thing that we we noticed and uh, that when Gordon and I were talking about this, we kind of discovered Black Widow is you know, very good leader. And she experiences what a lot of female leaders experience, which is that the glass cliff, right? So, you know, they get chosen to be leaders. It's not the glass ceiling. No, it's she's, the cliff. she's getting pushed <laughs> off the cliff, you know, like she's, uh, you know, she got leadership. She got a leadership role, but it's not a great leadership role. It's not a, it's not a easygoing time. Uh, things are going bad. And we see this a lot in organizations where when things are not going great, people are like, well, you know, maybe we can have a woman lead. That would be okay, and that becomes a problem. They're they're not set up to succeed. They're put into positions that are much much harder than uh, you know the people that we think of as traditionally as leaders. Yeah, and that's a, that's a re research has come out in recent years on this, where we all know the glass ceiling. Everybody knows that, but in talking about using newer research, this glass cliff idea to us really made a lot of sense here, because it was. You take the lady, put her in charge when, you know, this is the biggest crisis we've had. And we've seen women, women put in charge as well when there's a big scandal, uh, when they're, we've seen them, you know, they're not often both CEO and uh, head of the board of directors. Uh, and so they're kind of set up to fail where we're like, well, we're screwed. We might as well put a woman in charge. Uh, and so we're putting them often in very bad spots. And so to me, the glass cliff is a great great metaphor for a very real problem. And so we do talk about it in the book chapter. Are there any leaders in any of the uh, the Marvel movies that uh, you think are overrated? That maybe people are like, oh, I really like this character. Or maybe some of your students have said, this is a person's a really good leader. And you're kind of like, eh, maybe not so much. Nick Fury overall is a bit overrated based on what we see in the movie. Um, so I like Nick Fury, Samuel Jackson. Don't Mr. Jackson, I'm not insulting you in any way. Your <laughs> acting was impeccable in this film. Um, but if you look at what he actually does, he doesn't necessarily do a good job of keeping the team together or kind of building it. So it's kind of funny. You see in the first Iron Man, he shows up and is like, join the Inesher's Initiative. And then nothing happens because Tony's like, screw you. I don't want to do that. Um, and it's only in the second Iron Man where he really starts to give arguments of why Tony should join. Um, 
But really, we don't see a lot of leading of the actual team in Avengers. We've got sort of these issues of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s been compromised, which again might suggest maybe he wasn't doing a good job then either. Um, but we don't see him necessarily do a lot of good behaviors of a leader within the film, which is sad because Nick Fury conceptually, I think, is cool. Samuel Jackson is cool, but I, there's not a lot of great evidence of him doing a good job of leading the team or putting it together. In fact, one of the notes on Tony Stark is too unstable to be on the Avengers team. <laughs> well, who's on the Avengers team? The guy that all of our tests say, don't put this guy on the team. Maybe the tests are wrong, but it's a pretty bad statement to be, we just ignore our tests. That's how you get all these people in HYDRA part of S.H.I.E.L.D. All the S.H.I.E.L.D. tests say, this guy's probably a double agent for HYDRA and is going to try to destroy America. And you're like, but I like the cut of his jib. You're on, HYDRA, dude. So <laughs> Nick's, Nick's got a while to go in his leadership journey, in my mind. Yeah, Sai, who do you, who do you think? Uh, so I'll take, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take this as a, uh, I'll take this in a different direction. There's a character that I think believes uh, themselves to be a great leader, but is generally awful and has never like really held a leadership position for very long. And that's Loki. L- Loki always, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a great leader. I'm going to do a great job. All he does when he gets leadership abilities is he puts on plays, you know, like he just wants to be like a TV executive and run. That was a fire play though. I mean, he got Matt Damon heartstrings when I watched that. Yeah, we, you know, uh, tears from my eyes. Right. But, you know, not really how you run a kingdom, but his whole arc, his whole goal for the most part has been he wants to lead something. He wants to be king of something. And I actually think that embodies um, a sense that some some employees have within organizations that they like. I need to I need to be a manager. Why do you want to be? Man- I need to be a manager. Uh, th- there's no discernible reason because I want more money. That's right. You know, it's a way to get <laughs> that, more money. That's reasonable. Um, you know, but th- this is also one of the problems in organizations where you know the only way to get more money or is to be seen as more valuable is to have to manage other people rather than being rewarded for your technical expertise. Some people are not built to be people managers. Some people are better as technical experts, and they should still receive rewards for that technical expertise. And it sounds it sounds like a very simple thing to say that like you want to play to the strengths of 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 individuals uh but it it's kind of, you know, amazing how many people still imagine that the, you know, the Michael Jordan of your team is also going to be the best coach. Like we already know that's not working out that well. Sorry Charlotte Hornets, <laughs> but uh you know. That that's something I think I think is really important to consider, especially with a character like Loki. Yeah, yeah. So uh what if your students said about you know some of uh these approaches maybe that you've used in the classroom or i don't know if you have them read the book as well uh what's been their reaction um one student in our message board this year has used marvel examples fully in my leadership class that might be from the book (laughs) so that's been an interesting like okay let me make sure he is adding to the discussion and not just literally copying stuff from Um, but st- but I do find that students. But he's getting do- an A, right? <laughs> a plus. He's getting we don't an- offer okay. A pluses technically, but it is an A plus. Um, uh, but but yeah, no, I think it it does resonate with them. They do like to talk about the examples. It is making sure that this is something they know and they're interested in. So we did a personality and leadership assignment where you pick somebody from pop culture, and similar to Sai, like their stuff was like all over the place. You know, a lot of shows I had never heard of people 
in directions. And so that is one of the sort of challenges that can come up is our pop culture is not everybody watches one of the three big networks mm. and that's the only thing you see in the same way. And so it's trying to figure out, you know, showing a clip so they can see what's going on. I'm trying to have people pick their own examples. Uh, they can really help them to then use that to reflect on their own leadership is what I find. So it's not just as easy as making a joke about Captain America and everyone will laugh uproariously. At least in my view, Sai, maybe that works for you. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, you know, I don't make the students buy the book. Uh, apparently that's like not something I'm supposed to do. Like they can't get extra credit for buying the book. I mean, who made that rule? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what I have found is with my, with my students, um, it, it's at least talking about something that they're kind of aware of. Um, my students are, are primarily first generation, a little bit blue collar, and they may not have the same, you know, uh, ready knowledge of like history or, TV shows from 20 or 30 years ago, things that I might want to reference that that might be referenced in their traditional leadership books. And so I think they appreciate that it's, you know, something within their lifetime that I'm referencing that is, you know, and I think they also appreciate the attempt, right? Even if they don't watch the Marvel movies, they at least say, oh, Dr. Islam's old, but he's trying, you know, he's giving it a good shot, <laughs> you know? Uh, I think it's also... Uh, important with like with clients, uh, with coaching clients and and in training and development, um, being able to either, you know, assign the book or assign one of the movies or a TV show or an episode as homework is, is helpful uh, because, you know, those folks can take a step back. They don't have to constantly be thinking about their own experiences at work and then they can kind of project some part of themselves into uh, some of the Marvel characters and then come to an insight that they wouldn't have come to otherwise. Wonderful. So now that this book is out and uh, you've kind of completed that project and obviously still continue to reference it and use it in your own teaching and consulting work, uh, what's next for you guys? What are you up to? Any Anything new and exciting that you'd like to share a little bit about with our audience? Gordon, we can start with you. Uh, sure. Well, Cy and I are working on another book. We're look, working on a book on Avatar, The Last Airbender and Leadership, um, which we really enjoy as a thing for this. You know, it's a very different type of show uh, than Marvel. Uh, and we also do think of it as something that is very pick up and go. So the Marvel movies are kind of long. You know, you're talking about two hour commitments as my sister-in-law, who was forced to watch some of these with me, would say, this movie's still going. What's going on? <laughs> um, please stop. That's generally how it went. Um, but with Avatar, we're talking about, you know, less than 30-minute episodes that can teach a lesson pretty well. They're very appropriate for, you know, children generally because of the series. Uh, and so this means, like, legitimately you could do, you know, an hour youth group meeting where you watch it for 30 minutes, you learn leadership for 30 minutes, we're out. Uh, and so we've been really been thinking about it from that level of making it a very digestible amount. And it's an amount that you could work with a class a lot better. So I, I could tell my students to watch a Marvel movie, but to watch most of an Avatar episode wouldn't really be that hard. Yeah. Uh, and for Avatar, we're focusing a little bit more on cross-cultural leadership and balance uh, and topics like that that I think, you know, the, the Marvel movies don't necessarily fit quite as well. 
And so we're very excited in, in sort of writing that up and thinking about, okay, what that is. So, the, you know, so that's, that's one of the big projects we're working on right now. The other thing I want to mention is that we continue to, even, even without the book, we continue to blog about uh, issues related to IO psychology, to leadership, uh, and pop culture. So Gordon just uh, completed a, a blog about uh, the show The Sandman. I don't know if anybody's uh, if you've seen that. Uh, you know that show is from based on the DC comic book, and Gordon uh, wrote about something all IO psychologists love and uh, HR people should love, and that is job analysis. So using using that, you know, looking at the jobs that people have in the world of the Sandman and kind of analyzing that. So we're going to continue that. We've got a couple of other hopefully blogs coming out uh, in in a similar vein. Awesome, nice. So we've got these guys are super web people. They're on Twitter, LinkedIn, websites. They've got a whole bunch of research. We will put all of their contacts in the show notes. If you guys aren't following them on Twitter, absolutely. Um, need to get links to your blogs. I don't, I don't see that in our list. So let's make sure we get that before the show goes live. Anything you guys would like to say as we wrap up? Um, I am going to be talking at a conference in Latvia soon. So if you're in Latvia, Hey, everybody, <laughs> uh, I will see you in, uh, mid mid October. I think that was just a recent through LinkedIn. Outstanding. <laughs> so my Latvia heads, good to see y'all. Thanks for listening to the podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. Sigh. Uh, so, you know, if we're going to talk about speaking engagements in about uh, 11 days, I'll be at the ATT Fort Worth virtual conference, ATT Cultivate. And then I will also be at, uh, you know, ATT Org Dev in Los Angeles. Uh, that is October 12th to 14th. And then I'll, I'll put these links into the show. You know, I'll give them to, to you. And then uh, also, uh, I won't be speaking, but I will be attending the PSYOP Leading Edge Consortium. So if you just want to hang out in, in, in Hotlanta, uh, we can certainly meet up there. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to talk over Twitter or whatever. Yeah, and PsyOps uh, Talent Metrics is the boutique. Uh, PsyOps. What's what's the exact word for it? Sai? you're the. Uh, we're the we're the evaluation partner, the official evaluation partner for uh, for PsyOp, which is you know basically we're we're managing surveys, creating reporting, things like that for for PsyOps. So lots and lots so, of fun. So they're a big deal. Wonderful. That, that's what I want to make sure everyone knows. <laughs> Outstanding. Well. You know, uh, Gordon and Sai, it's been a pleasure having you. And thank you so much for being a part of the Indigo podcast. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to the Indigo podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.